Well, if you have your Bibles today, won't you turn quickly to 1 John chapter 2. And we're just going to look at one verse today. Once you find it, why don't you go ahead and stand up. If you don't have it, stand up anyway and you can see it up on the screen. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, if you have it, say amen. And it reads, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. We ask, Lord, that Jesus Christ will be glorified and that he would be lifted up. And as we lift him up, Father, help us to see him. And as we see him, help us to believe on him. And as we believe on him, Lord, help us to be saved. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen, amen, and amen. I want to talk for the next few minutes on the subject, I need a good lawyer. I need a good lawyer. You'll see in the text where it says, uh, and if you sin, anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I want to talk just for a few minutes on the subject, I need a good lawyer. Won't somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. Brian Stevenson is an American lawyer and social justice activist. He's a law professor at New York University School of Law and the founder of the executive, and he's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative based in Montgomery, Alabama. He was depicted in the legal drama entitled Just Mercy. He initiated the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, which honors the names of more than 4,000 African Americans lynched in the 12 states in the South from 1877 to 1950. He argues that the history of slavery and lynchings has influenced the subsequent high rate of death sentences in the South, where it has been uh, disproportionately applied to minorities. A related museum, the Legacy Museum, from uh, enslavement to mass incarceration, offers interpretations to show the connection between post Reconstruction period of lynchings to the high rate of executions and incarcerations of people of color in the United States. Brian Stevenson has been able to reverse 135 death sentences of those on death row. 135 people who would be executed. 135 people who were innocent and yet facing death. Brian Stevenson got 135 people's sentences reversed. There are 135 people who are alive today because they had a good lawyer. Let the church say amen. Brian Stevenson investigates. He brings in the DNA. He gathers evidence and witnesses. Uh, uh, that, and, and, and had he not done so, these 135 people would be lost. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying. There are people who are on death row. 
who are alive today. I don't, I don't know if you get it yet. But because of our sin, we are all on death row. We're all on death row and we should be dead. But Jesus, but Jesus showed up as a good lawyer, as an advocate, and he reversed our death sentence. It was Jesus who said, no, he is destined to die, but I'm going to save his life. He was an advocate. And this whole idea of advocate can be summarized as one person who pleads the cause of another. Jesus is our advocate. In this passage, it says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. The book of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John are all about fellowship. 1 John is about fellowship with God. 2 John is about how we are to fellowship with unbelievers. 3 John is about how we are to fellowship with those who are believers and in the household of faith. 1 John is all about our fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, he deals with sin and how sin disrupts our fellowship with God. And he bleeds it over into the first uh, verse of chapter 2 where he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But, or and, if anyone does sin. And many women, how many know that after you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you still have a sin problem? I don't know about you, you look a little holier than I look, but I still got a sin problem. I still don't think right, I still don't feel right, and I still don't do right. I don't do all the things that I'm supposed to do. But the scripture says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our advocate. But I want to ask you a question. How does he advocate for us? How does he take an individual who is not like the individuals that Brian Stevenson represented? You see, Brian Stevenson represented those people who were falsely accused. He represented those people who were innocent. He represented those people who had been done in uh, an injustice. But Jesus comes to our defense and we are guilty. There, there, there is no, there, there's no doubt about it. You see, our enemy has the videotape. Uh, our enemy has witnesses. Our enemy has the written record. Our enemy was there when it occurred. And there is nothing that we can stand upon. So how does Jesus advocate for us? How is he this lawyer that we need? How does Jesus get us out of trouble? And I would say to you that the rest of this message is talking about three ways Jesus is a good lawyer. Won't uh, you say amen? amen? The scripture says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, point number one may sound a little strange to you, but point number one is simply we must admit that we're sinners. You see, when you talk to a lawyer, that lawyer is going to say to you, now, you need to tell me everything. Don't hold anything back because I cannot properly defend you 
if you don't tell me everything that is going on. And any lawyer worth his case, or worth his, his, his salt, or worth the money that you pay him, knows that it may be better in the long run if you cop a plea than if we go to trial. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. amen. And so the first thing is that we must admit that we are sinners. The fact is that God already knows that we're sinners. God already knows. If you were to look at chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Many of us say that we have no sin or we decide that we want to explain it away. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Many of us take sin and we minimize sin. Many of us say, well, sin is just a mistake, or sin is just a misjudgment, or sin is just an error. Uh, no, I'm not wicked, I, I, I'm just weak. No, I, I'm not sinful, I, I, I'm just sick. No, I'm not evil, I'm just ill. And many of us try and explain our sin away. Many of us try and minimize it. Many of us try and blame it on others, but we need to call sin Sin. Sin is law-breaking. Sin says that I know what is right to do, but I am deciding to do what's wrong. Men and women, we can't play with sin. Sin is destroying us. Sin makes you sad. Sin makes you sorrowful. And sin makes you sick, which eventually leads to death. Many of us need to take a page out of David's book. David sinned with Bathsheba and then conspired to have uh, her husband murdered. And then when he is confronted about his sin, he doesn't minimize it. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't blame it on someone else. He says, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. If you were to look at Psalm 32, Psalm 32 talks about when David kept silent about his sin. His body wasted away. Sin will make you sick. In, verse 30, in, in uh, Psalm 32, it says, Your hand was heavy upon you. Sin will not only make your body sick, but sin will make your soul sick. Because the heaviness that you feel is the heaviness of God's hand on top of you because of your sin. You need to stop playing games with God. You need to stop playing games with God about our sin. God says you need to admit your sin. And when we call it a mistake, or when we call it a misjudgment, or when we call it an area, uh, an error, we need to be reminded that Jesus didn't die on the cross for a mistake. He didn't die on the cross for a misjudgment nor an error. Jesus Christ died on the cross because we were sinful and separated from God. We were lawbreakers Worthy and deserving of His wrath. Well, Pastor Mike, you always talk about how loving God is and how kind He is. He is loving and He is kind, but He is also just. And many of us forget about the legal aspect of our relationship with God. If He just sweeps our sin under the rug, He is no longer a just God. He's a God of justice. Well, Pastor Mike, convince me that I'm sinful. Well, picture with me Jesus, his death on the cross. Do you remember and say amen that they put a crown of thorns on his head? Amen? amen. 
You remember that they nailed his hands to the cross. Say amen. You remember they nailed his feet to the cross. Say amen. You remember they put a spear in his side which pierced his heart. Say amen. Well, the reason why they put the crown of thorns on his head, because the blood brings about the forgiveness of our sin. We got a problem with our head. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Every intent and the thoughts of man's heart are only evil continually. Jesus said, I'm going to take care of their minds. So the blood took care of that. You talk about the hands that were nailed to the cross. Romans chapter 10, verse 21 says, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He says, I'm going to cover your, your sinfulness with your hands with my blood. And then the nails in his feet. Romans chapter 3, verse 15 says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. And because they're guilty in their feet, I'm going to have the nails pierced there because my blood will take care of that. And lastly, they pierced him in his side. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And so the heart of Jesus was pierced because in our hearts we sin. And the picture of Jesus on the cross is our sinful minds. Well, uh, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that. Our sinful hands, I'm going to take care of that. Our sinful feet, I'm going to take care of that. And where, where the root of it is, is our sinful hearts. Well, I know that still doesn't convince you. Well, let's talk about the law. And the law doesn't save you. The law ought to lead you to Jesus. The law ought to be the very thing that points out that we're sinful. Now, I don't know about you. I'm just going to talk about me. God says you shall have no other gods before me. I've done that. God says you shall not make for yourself any idols. I've done that. God says you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. I've done that. God says you should honor your father and mother. I ain't done that all the time. And I hadn't 100% been holy in honoring my mother and my father. The scripture says don't murder. Well, I hadn't murdered anybody, but Jesus comes along and says, if you get angry with your brother, you've already had murder in your heart. I've done that. The scripture says that we are not to commit adultery. And I said, well, I ain't slept with nobody that I ain't married to. But then Jesus comes along and says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Well, I've done that too. I'm so sorry, Kim, that you're even here to hear that, but I've done that too. And then it goes on and says, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, I've taken some things that don't belong to me. And then it goes on and says that you shall not bear false witness against your brother. Have you told a lie? Yeah, I've told a lie. And then it says you shall not covet. Have you ever coveted anything? Yeah. I not only covet what folk have, sometimes I covet their whole life. Wish I had their life. And so in terms of the Ten Commandments, I can't help but admit that I'm a sinner. Some of you are looking at me at contempt and you say, well, Pastor, you still hadn't, hadn't, hadn't convinced me. Well, let's do a test. And I really want you to raise your hand. And if you're watching on YouTube, I want you to raise your hand as well. Have you ever told a lie? Some of y'all lying now. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you ever 
taken the name of the Lord in vain? Have you ever looked at a person and lusted for them? The scripture says if you've, you've told a lie, that makes you a liar. See, we don't want to call it that. We want to just say a person that doesn't tell the truth. No, you, you're a liar. If you've taken something that doesn't belong to you, that makes you a... If you have taken the name of the Lord in vain, that makes you a blasphemer. If you have, have lusted after someone, Jesus says, if you looked at someone and lusted after them in your heart, you're an adulterer in your heart. So what you're telling me, and I don't want to say it about you, I'll just say it about me. The scripture is telling me I'm a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer in my heart. So when we look at that word sin, and it says, if any of you has sin, I need to say, yes, Lord, I'm a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer in my heart. I need a good lawyer. I, I, I ain't going to beat this rap. I'm, I need a good lawyer because if you were to put me in God's courtroom, I would be guilty deserving the sentence of death. Men and women, I, I, I feel like this whole idea of sinfulness is lost in our society. You, you, you got to tell your advocate and admit that you're lost. What they call it is putting yourself on the mercy of the court. Let the church say amen. amen. If you understand uh, point number one, say amen. We must admit that we're sinners. All right, point number two. Point number two is simply we must have an advocate with the Father. Now, you don't have to turn there, there but, but, and it's not going to be up on your screen, but I want you to write down this scripture passage. I want you to write down Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I know Zechariah is one of those books that you never read. It's in the back of your Bible. It's one of the minor prophets. But Zechariah is all about God's courtroom setting. And you find yourself in a courtroom in this particular passage. And in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord uh, uh, and Satan, standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Let me give you the picture. Here we are in God's courtroom. God the Father is the judge. And it says... That Joshua, the, the high priest, now Joshua is standing there as the high priest, the most righteous person in all of Israel. He is to be righteous. But if you were to read the rest of the passage, it would say that his righteousness is like filthy rags. Take his filthy rags on him, yet he has on priestly garb. He is a religious person. He is supposed to be a good person. And yet he is in God's courtroom. And he's standing accused because Satan is standing at his right hand, accusing him. Satan is the one that got the videotape. He got the witnesses. He got the written record. He's got this. And he's standing next to him, telling God the Father, who is the judge, look, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, 
He's done this. You've got to punish him. You're a righteous judge. You have got to do something about him. And yet, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, is standing on his other side. And Jesus Christ says, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you. I can hear him say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because this man was a man who has been plucked out of the fire. He's been saved. He's been rescued. He's been taken out of the danger. He's been snatched out. And it gives you a picture of an individual who has given their life by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know you've been snatched out the fire? How many know you would have been lost? How many know you would have been in hell right now? How many know you, it, it, it's like Brother Curry, you would have been busting hell wide open right now had you not been plucked out of the fire. And so in that courtroom, there is Satan who is the accuser. There is the angel of the Lord who is Jesus on the other side. There is God the Father who is the righteous judge. And in that courtroom, there is a fire. Burnt offerings and sacrifices. Not of animals, but as one we call the Lord Jesus Christ. David Gusick in his commentary puts it this way. We have an advocate with Jesus, our defender. It is as if we stand as the accused in the heavenly court. Before our righteous judge, God the Father, our advocate stands up to answer the charges. And he answers this way. This is Jesus talking. He or she is completely guilty, your honor. In fact, he's done even more, he's done even worse than what he's accused of. And now he makes a full and complete confession Before you, the gavel slams and the judge asks, what should the sentence be? Our advocate answers, his sentence shall be death. He deserves the full wrath of this righteous court. All along, our accuser Satan is having great fun at all of this. We're guilty. We admit our guilt. We admit and we see our punishment before us. But then our advocate asks to approach the bench. He draws close to the judge and he simply says, Father, this one belongs to me. I paid his price. I took the wrath and punishment from this court that he rightly deserves. The gavel sounds again and the judge cries out, Guilty as charged, penalty satisfied. Our accuser starts to go crazy. Aren't you going to put him in, in, in on probation? No. The judge shouts, the penalty has been completely paid by my son. There is nothing to put him on probation for. Then the judge turns to our advocate and says, son... You said this one belongs to you. I release him now. 
into your custody. Men and women, that's the gospel. That is the gospel message. That is what causes us to praise. That is what causes us to worship. That is what has caused us to call out hallelujah. But I think our hallelujahs have stopped because we hadn't admitted that we're sinful. We, we, we don't appreciate the rescuing. My friend Dale Cohen uh, uh, reached over to me. And we had given these, these participants on this three-day weekend all of these, these expressions of love that we call agape. And they were leaving it on the table. He leans over to me and says, Pastor Mike, is it really agape? Is it really a gift of God? Is it really grace if they don't want it? And men and women, we got to want it. We all understand that God has given us a good lawyer. And if he has said, not guilty, get out the courtroom. Some of y'all are still saying, well, well, you know, I did this. Yeah, I know you did that. Get out the courtroom. Well, are you sure that I'm completely forgiven? I put my gavel down. Now get out the courtroom. Some of you are still trying to, to discuss with God about your, your freedom and about the sentence that you write. No, he paid it all. Well, you say, well, it's not fair. And I would say, you are right, it ain't fair. Must Jesus Christ die on the cross alone and the whole world go free? That's why we praise him. Point number one, we got to admit that we're sinners. Point number two, we must have an advocate with the Father. And then point number three, we must acknowledge Jesus Christ, the righteous, our very good lawyer. You see, the Word of God says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Repeat after me, Jesus Christ. Repeat after me, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's worthy to be shouted. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And when you talk about Jesus satisfying the payment that we made, you look at His name. Jesus actually means Jehovah, our salvation. Christ means the anointed one, the one that God has chosen to be our deliverer. Jesus, Jehovah, our salvation, the righteous one, the one whom he has appointed. And men and women, I've just been, been, been listening to, to, to messages and I've been searching the scriptures and I, I've been just trying, Lord, give me an appreciation for your salvation. And I want to put a little parenthesis right here, Reverend Will, because once you start appreciating your salvation, personal revival comes. If you're not excited about Jesus, then you hadn't been meditating on what he has done. There is so much in the Bible about what Jesus has done for us. And how he has delivered us. And if you ain't excited about it, and, 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 and if your wood is wet, wet, then just get a match and light it on fire. Men and women, we need to be excited about the salvation that we have in Jesus. It's going to be too fast for them to put it on the screen, so just jot these verses down. Job fourteen seventeen, The scripture says, my transgression is sealed up and God has put it in a bag. Never to be open. Psalm 85, 2 says that he has covered all of our sin. 
Psalm 103 verse 10 says, he has not dealt with us according to our sin. Psalm 103:12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As Isaiah 38:17 says, he's cast all of our sins behind his back. Jeremiah 50:20 says, and the sins of Judah, they shall never ever be found. He's put them in a place where you can't even find them. Micah 7:19 says, you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Hebrews 1.3 says, He purged our sin, then He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.17 says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 1 John 1.7, right in the chapter before us, says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once and for all for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says that He has canceled the charge uh, or canceled the debt of our legal indebtedness to Him. He has canceled it by writing it and nailing it to the cross. He took the list of of grievances. He took the list of offenses. He took all of our law-breaking, the written record, and nailed it to the cross so that we are no longer guilty. There's a hallelujah that goes right there. Right there because of what Jesus had done. Men and women, if you can't think of being a lawbreaker, and you can't think of, of being a sinner, just think of what sin has done to people. Just think of what divorce has done to people. Doesn't matter what side you're on. Just think of what abortion has done to people. Just think of what murder has done to people. Just think of what some, somebody breaking in your house, what has done. Just think about when somebody stole your car. Just think about when, when you got diseased or a, neighbor, or, or a family member was diseased and in the hospital. It's all because of sin. And men and women, we gotta praise God that Jesus takes away our sin. I don't know if you all have seen the movie, but whatever Denzel Washington is in, I watch. And a few years ago, a number of years ago, may not have just been a few, I watched this movie entitled The Hurricane. It came out in 1999. Denzel played the character, the main character, Reuben the Hurricane Carter. In 1966, Reuben Hurricane Carter was the top-rate uh, middleweight fighter in all of the world. He would soon fight, if everything went okay for him, to win the championship belt. Well, things didn't work out that way because one night in Patterson, New Jersey, there were three homicides. He and a friend of his were at a, another bar drinking, and on their way home, the police stopped them. And questioned them about this triple homicide. They weren't even at the bar. And the police officer even admits that these two were not suspects. However, there was a man who was in the bar who was a suspect but was never questioned and identified Reuben Hurricane Carter and his friend as the ones who perpetrated the murder. The only person 
who did not even see them, was obviously lying. And Reuben the Hurricane Carter was convicted of three consecutive life sentences in prison. Well, there was a young black boy who had been adopted by a Canadian family who had heard about Reuben Carter and decided that they would become his advocate. They decided that they would take on his case because they knew that he had been incarcerated unjustly. They went to the trial. They started studying the law. He gets another trial about eight to ten years after he was originally convicted. Things were going well, and the only witness was the same man that put him behind bars before. Even uh, the, those who, who said, the police officers said, they, they had nothing to do with it. And yet they got convicted again the second time. They miraculously were able to have another, another trial. And in 1985, Reuben the Hurricane Carter was released from prison, able to go free. And this is what he said upon being interviewed after being released. He says this, Hate got me into this place, but love got me out. Hate got me convicted, but love got me out. Hate got me falsely accused, but love got me out. I wish we could say we were like Reuben the Hurricane Carter, that we had done nothing wrong. I wish we could say that we are innocent, but we are not. But what I can say is this, that sin got me into this place, but the love of Jesus got me out. I can say that breaking the God's law got me into this place, but the love of Jesus got me out. I can say that disobedience got me into my situation, but love got me out. I can say that not only that, but, but, but independence, addictions, and lust got me into this place. But the blood of Jesus Christ got me out. I can say that selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-righteousness got me into this. But love got me out. What I can say is this. My little children... These things I write to you so that you may not sin. God doesn't want us to sin. God doesn't want us to do unrighteous things. God wants us to live holy. God wants us to live righteous. And then he goes on to say, but or and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We got a mighty good lawyer. We got a lawyer in God's courtroom that's never lost a case. I tell you, he's better than Perry Mason. He's better than Matlock. He's better than all them TV advocates put together because the Scripture says we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. That ought to give us reason to praise. Let us pray. Father God, we love you today. It could be that today we need to admit that we're sinners. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we're not making any excuses for it. Lord, we we either thought it, felt it, or did it. We might have even said it. Lord, we confess. But we thank you that we have an advocate.
We have someone in your courtroom that says, I paid for that. I took care of that. It is finished. And I thank you for who he is. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ who loved me enough to die on a rugged cross. Jesus, who rose from the dead. Jesus, who lives to make intercession for us. Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Jesus, who loves us more than we could ever know. Jesus, who redeemed us. Jesus that has given us His Holy Spirit. Jesus who empowers us. Jesus that makes us new. Father God, I pray that if there is someone that needs to place their faith in Jesus, I pray that they would do it right now. Because court will soon be over. And we need a good lawyer who will free us from the punishment of sin. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, won't each person say amen, 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 and amen. Thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you've been blessed. For more information about our church, we invite you to either visit our website at harvestcpc.com or call us at 205-853-5033. Until next time, be blessed.